0: you're listening to joy coaching america with the joy coach karen lynn grant spreading upbeat uplifting informative messages of hope and happiness from sea to shining sea from our home in the beautiful rocky mountains welcome
1: to joy coaching america this is karen lynn grant and today i have the exciting privilege of introducing you to Carrie Summers, who I recently met. And it was so fun to meet you, Carrie, at, just to find out a little bit about your life and the exciting career that you have had as an Elvis Presley impersonator. And today, I just want to hear your story and what led up to that. What? How did you get inspired to do this? Who was in your life that said hey, you sound like Elvis. When I heard In the Ghetto, sung by you, I got tears in my eyes. It was so good. And I've been playing your CD for friends and they're all like, he is amazing. So today we hope that on this radio show, we'll be able to play a few of your songs. Your voice is incredible. It's beautiful. It's just unimaginable how you have taken this gift and this talent and helped Elvis live on. So we're Joy Coaching America today, and we just want you to come in and share your story. Okay.
2: Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Karen, for having me on. I have been uh, doing this entertaining for a very long time. I tell the story that uh, when I was born and the doctor slapped me, I thought it was applause and I just kept going. <laughs> but, uh, you know, growing up as a child, we always say I had music in the home, but it was mostly uh, classical stuff. Elvis would not have been allowed in my home mm-hmm. growing up. And so I didn't know a whole lot about him. But uh, when I was 21 years old, now nah, it's just a couple of years ago. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Wink, wink. And I learned the art of ventriloquism. I was in the land of Australia, and I was traveling uh, from Sydney clear up to the top in the, to the Tropic of Capricorn, the, uh, the, the Great Barrier Reef. And uh, we um, all of a sudden added a new segment to the show. I had been doing magic, and I learned ventriloquism. And so I was often running as a ventriloquist at the age of 21. And as a ventriloquist, I used to do interesting things with my puppets. And they would sing songs. And then I thought, how fun would it be if they started doing some impressions of some different people? So I would actually add things to the puppet. I would put sideburns on its cheek and it'd sing an Elvis song. <laughs> and then I'd put some pigtails on it with a bandana around the forehead and I'd do a Willie Nelson song.
1: Can you impersonate Willie Nelson?
2: Yeah. So it's, it's all part of this show. And so it was just a lot of fun. My show has evolved over the years. I never ever when I started doing the ventriloquism ever thought at all that I would do an Elvis show. But it's very ironic that when I was in Australia, it was the same year that Elvis did his Aloha concert from Hawaii. And I happened to watch it. And at that point, something magic happened. It was like somebody reached through the TV screen and sucked me into the TV. And I just thought, who is this guy? His voice was phenomenal. He was at the height of his career. I don't think he ever did a show better than that Aloha from Hawaii concert. He was doing more ballads and things like that. And his voice matured. Uh, He used to listen to other performers like Mario Lanza. And he got almost sort of an operatic uh, feel to his voice. Um, So I started really working on the voice of Elvis for my puppets. And then just out out of for fun, I said, wouldn't it be fun to go into a recording studio and record a song? And I did. What song did you record? I recorded Can't Help Falling in Love. So uh, it was almost like a, a scene out of The Jazz Singer with Neil Diamond where he's riding in the car and he's playing uh, a song for somebody that happened to be an agent, which is this what this is exactly what happened. This agent listened to this song and I just put it on like it was really coming from the radio instead of a uh, cassette tape. That just dated me, didn't it? Anyway, uh, so he listened to the song. He says, "Oh, I love Elvis. That's such a good song." I said, "You know what? That is not Elvis. That is me." And he flipped out. And so, within like a couple of weeks, I got a television engagement booked, and then how I old was were you at that time? As pardon me? How old were you at that time? Oh my goodness, I was probably, I would guess, twenty eight. 20 years ago. So I've been doing this for a couple of years. (laughs) Uh, So I, I think it's fun to keep the legend and the memory alive. So I vary a little bit different from what you would see if you went to Las Vegas and saw the, the legends and concert show where they have the plastic surgery and all that. I mean, I'm only five foot four. Elvis was six foot one. And that's five foot four on a good hair day. So it's a little bit of a stretch for me to, to fill those shoes of Elvis to try and really look like him. But when you're on stage and you've got the costuming and you've got the lights and the sound and the music and you're into the character as much as you can get, it really brings back the memory. Uh, and I've had literally, as your experience with the, in the ghetto song, I've had people come up to me afterwards with tears in their eyes and they, some of them say, I never even liked Elvis until now but you brought to light such a really good portrayal of him. And I talk about him in my show. I do a little bit of factoids about what he did and what he did when he sang the song, when he recorded it, uh, who wrote the song. So I, I make it more of about him than about me trying to be him. So so you you do it it as a tribute to him. It's a tribute. That's exactly right. Karen. It's a tribute to Elvis. And the people really appreciate that type of an approach to it because he was one of a kind. There'll, be, there'll never be another guy like him, in my opinion. And people can try to pretend to be him, but they're not, they're not even close. So it's a safer bet, really, that I found out to, to bring back the memories. Everybody has their own memory of who he was to them.
1: Well, what did you feel as you studied his life? What did you glean?
2: Oh, my goodness. Oh, thank you. That's a wonderful question. As I studied his life, I found out what a genuine, loving, caring human being he was. He probably gave more than any other entertainer I've ever read or studied about. And and when I say that, I meant he would uh, donate uh, to people, to charities, and he was always anonymous when he did it. Uh, He would see a little girl that might come to his concert in a wheelchair that had some disease and he would secretly write a check to the parents and say, I'm paying for the rest of her treatment. Um, Mm. So that's the kind of person he was very caring, very loving. We've all heard the stories about how generous he was and how he'd buy Cadillacs for his entourage. And, and that's true. He did. He, uh, he had a paper boy that was delivering papers on a bicycle. He says, that's not good enough for you. He bought him a motorcycle.
1: Oh, how so, fun to be able to be that generous.
2: Oh, I know. To it give good was, gifts. It, it, but it was, it was almost to a fault. Uh, he used to give away things in his concerts too, like he'd take a ring off of his finger and hand it to somebody in the concert. And Joe Esposito, his road manager, tells the story one time, before a concert, uh, the person that had designed all of Elvis's rings brought a new tray of rings in for Elvis to look at to decide which one he wanted to wear during the concert so he was putting the rings on his finger and Joe said to Elvis don't give away any of these rings tonight Elvis we haven't paid for these yet and he looked at Joe as if to say don't tell me what to do and that's exactly what he did in the show within the first 10 minutes took off one of those big old rings and handed it to some person some lucky lucky person in the audience
1: very generous heart very
2: nice yeah so I had a, an opportunity to meet one of Elvis's uh, band members. His name was John Wilkinson, played guitar for Elvis for 10 years. And, and John used to tell me stories behind the scenes about Elvis that uh, were just incredible. Again, the gifting, the generosity, the love. And Elvis would literally, before a show, be on his knees praying that he would be able to deliver a concert to those people that would be pleasing to them. He said, I know these people have paid a lot of money to come and see me. Please God, don't let me disappoint them tonight.
1: So he was a God fearing man. Oh,
2: absolutely. Um, Interestingly enough, somebody asked Elvis one time, I said, Elvis, if you were not a singer, what would you want to be? You know what he said? A preacher. Mm. And he literally believed. And I, I am a firm believer that this is true. He preached through his music. And if you look at some of the songs that he sang towards, especially towards the latter part of his life, there were incredible songs like the impossible dream, follow your dreams. He was trying to give messages. How great thou art. He was sing in almost every show towards the last two years of his life,
3: mm.
2: he would always include at least two or three gospel songs in his show. And speaking of that, he was nominated for many, many Grammy awards, and he was—he uh, won three Grammy awards out of all the ones he was nominated for. He won three, and they were all for guess what kind of music? Gospel. That's exactly right.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: He won a Grammy award for a song called "He Touched Me," and he won two for "How Great Thou Art."
1: Oh, beautiful. Oh, would love to hear that. Have you ever? sung his how great i I
2: have done a gospel album as well
1: oh you have well I i have the one that starts within the ghetto and it is so beautiful incredible and so fun to hear these stories and to hear the man that you have come to know to love to represent and to pass on his legacy this is so exciting thank you carrie we're going to take a little break and we'll be right back after these messages to learn more about your heart from the heart of alvis presley we'll be right back after these messages this is karen Lingrant, joy coaching america
0: From sea to shining sea and beyond, you're listening to Joy Coaching America worldwide with show host and joy coach, Karen Lynn Grant. Welcome back to Joy
1: Coaching America. This is Karen Lynn Grant. And today I'm interviewing Carrie Summers, who is a wonderful man that I recently met, who is also an Elvis Presley impersonator. And as we were You were sharing, Carrie, in the last segment. What touched my heart is that you are really here to share about the true Elvis. You know, the world has had a misconception about him, misperceptions about him, but you seem to really know and love his heart. And I think it's interesting because we always hear that vibration attracts vibration and like attracts like. And your heart, what I noticed about you immediately, Was your kindness. And today I introduced a woman to you and she walked away saying, He's so kind. And I think that what you're bringing out for me about Elvis is his kindness. I would love to have you share what happened in the world for Elvis to have such a misperception of him. And what is that? Who is the Elvis that you would like us to know and understand?
2: So the Elvis that I have come to know and love is uh, an Elvis that was very caring, and he got some bad raps at the end of his life because some people misconstrued some of the medications that he was on and called him a drug addict. He never used any kinds of drugs like that. He did have some very bad physical ailments at the end of his life, and I'll just kind of touch on a couple of those. And this comes from... Uh, a guy named Charlie Hodge. Charlie Hodge, if you ever watched an Elvis concert, was the guy that would give Elvis the scarves. He would sing backup harmony with Elvis. He'd give Elvis the glass of water. They were friends ever since they were in the army together. And uh, I met Charlie and he, he was telling me and sharing some things about Elvis's life right before he died. And this is something that nobody knew. Elvis kept it very, very secret. Elvis had bone cancer. Oh. And so he was taking very high doses of prednisone. If you know anything about prednisone, uh it will sometimes make you swell up. So he got quite large there at the end. He was still in great physical shape. He was a 6th degree black belt in karate, played racquetball the night before he died. He was he was in good shape, but he he uh put on some weight and people were very unkind and and made the joke so oh, all he did all he all he did is eat cheeseburgers and bacon and peanut butter banana sandwiches and so um he he was very sick he had glaucoma he had colitis he had an enlarged heart he had some very serious things the other thing that happened right before he passed away is we are talking about his generosity there were other people on his staff They had some Elvis as well, and any time they would need something, Elvis would foot the bill for it, and he'd get it. Their doctor was a guy named Dr. Nicopolis, Dr. Nick, as he was affectionately called. And so after Elvis died, they looked at all the prescriptions that that Dr. Nick had written out, and they assumed that they were all for Elvis. Not true. Elvis was getting them for everybody. So he really went through some bad things uh, towards, as far as what people said about him. Uh, My friend, John Wilkinson, that I mentioned earlier that played guitar for Elvis. I asked John, I said, are you ever going to write a book about Elvis? He says, no, I'm not. Because he says, everybody that's written a book about Elvis tries to capitalize on bad things. He says, I've got too much love in my heart for him. I would never write anything that was in any way, shape or form, something that would be detrimental to him. And every story I ever heard was great. It was all about the good fun that he had. He loved life. He loved living life to the max. And sadly, he passed away way too early at the age of 42.
1: 42? 42. He sure packed a a big life into 42 years, didn't
2: he? He he certainly did. He lived several lives into that. He was a twin. Uh, I don't know how many people know that, but he had another brother named that they named Jesse Guerin that was stillborn right before Elvis was born.
3: Mm.
2: And so Elvis said that he was carrying on with the energy of his twin brother. And he said, these moving around that I do on stage. He says, it's not to be lewd or crude. He said, but I got to move. I've got that energy of my twin brother in me.
1: He had to live a double, a double time, double speed to, right. to live for yeah. that brother that passed.
2: So uh, that that was uh, that was what I think spurred him on, and he always wondered why why him why didn't he die? How come wasn't his brother? But he he never took life for granted ever. In fact, uh, most people know that he comes from very humble circumstances. He was born in Tupelo in what they called a shotgun house. Shotgun meaning you could take a shotgun fire it through the front door to go right out the back door because it was a one-room place, and very small. So he came from very humble upbringing, and so he never took it for granted. After he got some fame and notoriety, he always shared that with everybody. I think it's an interesting story. One time after one of his concerts, his, he had bodyguards that were trying to push the fans away, and somebody's trying to come up and get an autograph from Elvis, and the bodyguard pushed them away. And Elvis chastised that bodyguard. So you never, ever, ever push a fan away. They're the ones that write your paycheck.
0: Hmm.
2: (laughs) But it was more than that. It was these people loved him for who he was, what he was. He he put a whole new genre of music on the map. People, uh, famous singers, the Beatles said, without Elvis, there wouldn't have been us. Um, I think that was a quote by John Lennon and so other other singers got their start from elvis and they they give him credit for that
1: you know one of my questions is you have painted a picture by sharing that in his later years the last couple of years that he sang gospel songs did he grow up in a in a god-fearing family
2: he did indeed. And they used to go over to the, to the church on a Sunday morning, and uh, they would, Elvis always liked the gospel singing in the church. And there was a, a group that later Elvis hired to sing backup for him. They were called the Stamps Quartet, led by a guy named J.D. Sumner. J.D. Sumner had the world's lowest bass voice on record. And they used to laugh and reminisce that when Elvis was a young boy, J.D. used to to sneak Elvis in the back door, let him in for free.
1: Oh.
2: And then later on, after Elvis got the notoriety, it was the exact opposite reverse. They let the Stamps Quartet in the back door. But anyway, um, they came from a very religious family.
1: Did he have a big family? With
2: uh, As far as just...
1: Like his... Other siblings no, other than his no, brother. No, it was
2: just uh, just him and his his stillborn brother.
1: Oh, that was it. So he grew up as an only child. He was
2: an only child. That's correct. And his mother Gladys was really protective of him, and she was a hard worker. Vernon, his father, was a very hard worker. Uh, stories are that when Elvis was born, Gladys was out in the fields picking cotton. That's how poor they were out picking cotton with Elvis wrapped in a bundle around. Her shoulder, she's picking cotton with one hand and holding him with the other hand. Anyway, Elvis grows up, and he is a truck driver for Crown Electric. And as fate would have it, he goes into a recording studio uh, right there, and uh, he records a song, That's All Right, Mama. And it becomes a hit overnight.
1: That was his first recording? Yeah.
2: Yeah that he he'd recorded another song for his mama. It was supposed to be for her birthday. And so, but on the flip side of that was that's all right, mama. Was and that an
1: original song that he wrote for her?
2: No, it wasn't an original song. Uh, in fact, Elvis did not write, as far as I know, uh, any real original songs. He co-wrote a song with one of his bodyguards and he sung it for Priscilla, whom he married later on, and she didn't like it. And that was the last time he ever sang it. But uh, most of the songs that he did were either written by somebody else uh, for the movies that he was in. He was in 33 movies. Hmm. And uh, they all kind of say, oh, they were B movies. They weren't that great. They all sort of were the same. But uh, he was a good actor. Elvis had an incredible memory. He would memorize not only his part, but all the other parts. So if anybody lost their lines, couldn't remember where they were, Elvis would fill him in. He was a genius. Uh, he wanted to do more serious films, and he got the option one time to do a movie with Barbara Streisand. And uh, Colonel Parker, who was his manager, said, "If if you do that movie with Barbara, you've got to get top billing." And that didn't happen, so he never did. A star is born.
1: Oh, he was going to star in A Star is Born. Well, this is fascinating. I have never heard these stories before. Thank you so much, Carrie Summers. We'll be right back after these messages.
3: Welcome to the Loving Liberty Radio Network.
0: Welcome back to Joy Coaching America, raising the world's vibration to love, joy, and peace. One happy listener at a time.
1: Welcome back to Joy Coaching America. This is very fascinating because this show has a spirit on it that I'm feeling a real reverence for Elvis Presley. Like I'm hearing things that are just really touching my heart deeply. I've never uh, known him. Although one time I was on doing my genealogy on family research and you know where you can click on uh, famous people that you're related to. And it came up with Elvis Presley, fifth cousin, not even once removed. And so I think when I heard your voice sing, it just touched a chord in my heart. There's some cellular familial some cellular familiar frequency and vibration that just stirred my soul. But I'm sure that lots of people feel that same kind of tenderness when they hear you sing or speak about him, because really you do speak of him with such respect and honor and reverence that I really feel like I'm loving this man and understanding. And I can't imagine how, how it would be to be in stardom And have people just naturally assume the worst about you. And so when people were being critical of him after his death and at the end of his life, uh, while he was being inflamed by the medications that he was on, like that just really, that really deeply touches my heart and, and moves me. And so I just, I thank you for bringing the spirit into this call and for sharing with us the real person, the real man, the man on his mother's back in the cotton fields, and that he worked so hard to bless America and the world.
2: Well, he did. And I'll tell you, the, the interesting thing is I've studied about Elvis's life and the closer I have got to feeling his spirit, uh, you know, there's been some similarities, I think, in his life and mine. Um, I, I just cannot help but think that the religious part of his life is what put it all together for him because he never took anything for granted, and he gave all of the credit for every bit of his talent to God. And he used to literally say to other people, he "says Why me? Why me?" Because he had such an enormous amount of talent, an enormous amount of charisma, and to the point where let me give you an example: if you were in a room with your back turned to the door. And Elvis walked through the door without anybody saying anything. You would turn around because it was so electrifying when he'd walk in. He had that charisma about him. And there are stories that one of his um, bodyguards told about how they were riding in a car. They were on a trip in California and it started to rain and they were in a convertible. And so his friend says, Elvis, what are we going to do? I can't put the top up on this. Says, don't worry about it. Elvis stood up in the car. He wasn't driving. The other guy was driving. (laughs) He stood up, raised his hands towards the heavens, and said, Rain, stop. And it stopped. Now, that's not not one of those myths. That's not one of those uh, urban legends that was told to me by the guy that was driving the car with Elvis. So he Mm. had a gift. Um, When he was born, you're talking about energy earlier. on. When he was born, uh, he asked his father later on, he says, was there anything that you noticed when I was born, anything out of the ordinary? Now, when Elvis was born, Vernon, his father had to go stand outside while the midwife was helping birth the baby. And so Vernon says, yes, Elvis, there was a light that shone directly on our little cabin or our little house and he says, he said, what color was that light, Daddy? He says, it was blue.
3: Hmm. It
2: was a blue light, which is a very intense and strong light. So there was something happening when Elvis was born, and I don't think he ever did understand it, nor have we understood it, but something very special about that man to where this many years later, he died in 1977, this many years later, and he still revered and respected as the greatest entertainer that's ever lived
1: this is incredible. I love hearing these stories. And so as you think about his life, you said that you had some similarities in your life that gave you empathy, that has taught you compassion, and just helped you to want to share his life so that people can understand him in a new light, in a beautiful new blue light. And so I just... I would love to know a little bit more about you, about your heart, and about what makes Carrie Summers the deep, dear, kind, compassionate, empathic man that he is.
2: Well, thank you very much for that compliment. That's very nice of you to say that. I think the thing that I learned, uh, because I have been doing entertaining for a very long time before I ever started doing The Elvis show, I was doing the magic shows, the ventriloquism shows. And as an entertainer, a true entertainer gives from their heart, they're not just up there for a quick dollar. They're there to bring joy and happiness to the people, even if it's just for 45 minutes or an hour. If you can, if you can stop the world for just that amount of time, and people can forget their troubles, their sorrows, their pains, their anguishes, and have an enjoyable experience where all of a sudden their life changes for that hour and a half or whatever it is that you're with them. That's what makes it so exciting as an entertainer. And Elvis loved that moment. He loved giving of himself. I don't don't think that there's ever been an entertainer that's given so much of himself. He gave until there's nothing else to give. And that's that's how he passed away so early, I think.
1: And you say that he had an enlarged heart, and you know that's very symbolic too. I'm sure of him. i I think of entertainers, and i never I never really had a chance to ask an entertainer, do you think that most entertainers entertain because they want to be seen or because they want to do that, to give people comfort and a respite from the world?"
2: I think that there's both kinds of entertainers out there. And the ones that I have the most respect for are the ones that give of themselves and aren't up there just for the paycheck. And they say, well, look at me, I'm so famous. And you go to talk to them after the show and they snub you and they they could care less about you. You're just a means to an end for them. But the true entertainer is the person that gives from their heart, who loves their audience. Um, I had, I had an example, give it to me one time, of another entertainer. It wasn't Elvis, but it was, a, it was a magician. And he would visualize and stand in front of the curtain, the audience on the other side of that curtain before the show opened. And he would say over and over in his mind, I love you. I mm. love you. I love you. I'm so glad you are here. Now, can you imagine the difference when those curtains open with that type of a mindset going into it? And Elvis used to do the same thing he would he would visualize that audience and he was so concerned that he never would disappoint his his audience ever
1: and you know when you come at, with that mindset when it's all about love and altruism and empathy for the audience and what each person in the audience is going through and why they need a respite from the world why they need an escape from the world through humor or through music or whatever it might be what a big Heart To be able to focus on your audience like that with the I love you to the audience rather than do you love me. I think that that's beautiful. I would love to play some of your song in the ghetto. Would that be okay? I have so many more questions, but this leads me to part two. We're going to have to do a part two, and we're going to talk about vibration and frequency and how like attracts like and entrainment and all these things that can help to raise the world's vibration to love, to joy, to peace, to harmony, to wellness. And I think that there's nothing do we all need more than to understand the power The healing power of frequency and vibration so carrie summers i want to thank you and i want everybody to listen to this incredible beautiful voice of carrie summers impersonating elvis presley
3: as the snow flies a lot of cold and gray chicago moan and a poor little baby child is born in the ghetto And his mama cries. Because if there's one thing she don't need, it's another hungry mouth to feed in the ghetto. In the ghetto. People, don't you understand? The child needs a helping hand. Or he'll grow to be an angry young man someday. Take a look at you and me. Are we too blind to see? Do we simply turn our heads and look the other way? Well, the world turns And a hungry little boy with a runny nose Plays in the streets and the cold and blows in the ghetto In the ghetto And his hunger burns As the crowd gathers round An angry young man face down in the streets With a gun in his hands in the, ghetto. In, the ghetto. in the ghetto And as her young man dies In the ghetto A lot of cold and gray Chicago moan And another little baby child is born In the ghetto In the ghetto, in the ghetto. In the ghetto. Mama
0: Welcome back to Joy Coaching America, raising the world's vibration to love, joy and peace. One happy listener at a time.
1: You're listening to Joy Coaching America. This is Carolyn Grant. Interviewing Carrie Summers, who has just shared a beautiful, just a beautiful, heartfelt program with us about Elvis Presley. And what a better way to joy Coach America than to share the heart of Elvis Presley, to share his God fearing love of of God, of people, of humanity, his heart that just spread throughout the world with his beautiful music, his gifts, and his talents, and his strengths. And then I love, Carrie, that you have corrected some misperceptions that some of us may have heard through the grapevine and how unfair it is that we make assumptions or hear things through the grapevine and just assume that it's true. So I love that you've shared that. I think that it's important as we are talking about the power of music and the ability it has to raise the vibration I think there's never been a time in America's history right now where we need this. We need this music. We need the power of vibration to give us all hope and to remind us of our creator and to give us the rejuvenation that we need to carry on. And so I appreciate your gifts. I appreciate the gift of your CD. And I'm so excited to know that you've even done more. Tell us about your second CD.
2: Well, so after Elvis's concerts, he would always go back to his hotel room where he had a piano, and all of his entourage would go around the piano with him, and they would spend till 3 and 4 o'clock in the morning singing gospel songs. That was what he was brought up on, and they just loved those gospel songs. So in the later, the later concerts, you could always hear him do at least two or maybe more gospel songs. It was just, it resonated with him. And there's so many people that uh, were, um, I think, brought to a higher elevation spiritually, vibrationally by listening to those songs. I actually heard a fellow tell me one time that his life was spared by listening to Elvis singing How Great Thou Art. He was standing on a chair in a garage with a rope around his neck ready to jump off the chair when Elvis came on the radio and sang that song. And he said it stopped him. And he's always thanked Elvis and thanked God for such a gift of life that came from a person that shared his gift with the world. And he did fulfill his, his uh, life, I think, by being a preacher through his music.
1: Well, that is an incredible story, and I think of his purpose, calling and mission, and maybe he didn't do it directly by preaching from a, a podium, but he did it through music, and that is just an incredible story. I'm sure when he got to the other side, he was able to see the lives he touched, spared, increased in joy and What a gift, what a gift that he was to all of us. And I thank you for bringing him to me and helping me to understand my fifth cousin in a whole new light, in a whole new way. That's just so sweet. So thank you. I I have some questions for you, Carrie. You know, you talked about becoming, you, you did magic tricks as a little boy, you loved magic, so you started doing magic shows and then you became a ventriloquist. And I've always wondered whenever I've seen a ventriloquist, how can they make those full open mouth sounds with their mouths closed? Can you describe that? And how do you think that's a gift that only a certain people have? Because I, I've tried and it doesn't work. It comes out. So tell us.
2: (laughs) What a good question. So I had that same, actually misnomer growing up uh, and heard that, to be a ventriloquist, you had to be able to learn to talk uh, with your mouth closed. That's actually not true. If you see the ventriloquists, um, they always have their mouth open at least a quarter of an inch. Now, their lips don't move, and that's what throws people off, because if they if they hear sound coming from a different place, and the performer's lips aren't moving, but maybe the puppet's lips are, it portrays a perfect illusion. And it's sort of like if you remember the old drive-in movies. You'd go to the drive-in movie, park your car, put the little speaker box on the side of your window, and you're, you're noticing that sound coming from the speaker box only for the first, first few seconds. But after a little bit, that mm-hmm. sound is coming from hundreds of feet away off the big screen. And that's the secret of throwing your voice. It really doesn't throw it. It's an illusion. So that's kind of a quick
1: answer. And that's part of the magic, right? That's part of the magic. Part of the love of the magic. Well, I would love for you to share your website with people so that, do you have videos or what do you have on your website?
2: So my website is kerrysummers.com, it's K-E-R-R-Y-S-U-M-M-E-R-S, and there's different things that you'll find on there that we haven't even talked about that I do um so let's talk about it what else do you do well (laughs) I I used to do a Mark Twain show a one-man portrayal of Mark Twain since I was in high school I was also really enamored with the whole makeup process uh, that Hal Holbrook used to create and the whole show that Hal Holbrook did so I put my own show together and used to do it on riverboats going up and down the Mississippi oh my gosh
1: you've had such a fascinating life
2: Well, it's been very rewarding. I've been very, very blessed, very lucky to do what I do because my passion is to make people happy. And I've been able to do that. I've been blessed.
1: Where did you, where were you born?
2: Uh, I was born in Salt Lake City and I had three sisters, two older, one younger. I was the only boy. Were you the
1: only entertainer in the bunch? uh,
2: As far as an entertainer, yes. Uh, My other sisters play piano and sing real well. And but they haven't really made it as, as a career.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that's fascinating. So what is your, your say one more time, your website, Carrie Summers?
2: My website is Carrie, K-E-R-R-Y, Summers, S-U-M-M-E-R-S, just CarrieSummers.com.
1: Okay, and what other kinds of things would we find on your website?
2: Well, you'll see some examples of some of the ventriloquist shows. You'll see some excerpts from performing on a cruise ship. You'll see some highlights of other concerts that I've done with different Elvis shows, with different costuming that I've done, and, and it's just just kind of a fun site to go to.
1: Well, it sounds fascinating to me, and I'm excited to go and watch those ventriloquist shows because it's always it's always just perplexed me how that a ventriloquist could do that. So I'm excited to watch. Well, we're going to close with a song. It's one of my favorite songs, and when I heard it on your CD, I loved it in the rendition and the style that you did to dream the impossible dream, the impossible dream. Can you tell us what prompted you to, to add this song to the CD?
2: So uh, the impossible dream, the last two years of Elvis's life, he, he started adding this in his show, and I think the reason he did it is because it was reminiscent of his own life coming from poverty, but never giving up on his dream, which was to to be an entertainer. That's what he wanted to do. And God blessed him, gave him that gift, that God-given gift. And he he not only pursued it, but he accomplished it and became very successful with it.
1: Thank you so much, Carrie. We're excited to hear Carrie Summers singing, The Impossible Dream. Thank you for listening today. I hope that you have been blessed with hope to pursue your dreams and to not think that where you began is where you'll end up, that we can have humble beginnings and we can pray to God that we can find our specific purpose, calling, and mission. That's one thing I love to share on this program is the stories of people who have dreamed what looked like an impossible dream and have lived to accomplish it so thank you Carrie so much for being my guest here today on Joy Coaching America
3: To dream the impossible dream To fight the unbeatable foe To bear with unbearable sorrow To run. Where the brave dare not go To right the unrightable wrong To be better far than you are To try when your arms are too weary, To reach the unreachable star Oh, this is my quest to follow that star With that question or pose, to be willing to march into hell for a heavenly cause. And I know if I'll always be true to this glorious quest, that my heart will run peaceful and calm when I'm laid to my rest. And one man scored and covered with skies, still strove with his last ounce of courage to reach the unreachable star, and the world would be better.